0: Welcome to the Practical Idealist Podcast, aligning what is good with what is possible. I'm your host, Allison Bueller, Director of the Homestead Education Center. Our focus on this show is real change that improves health, home, and community. We're in full swing at the Homestead Education Center. For those of you who are new to the show, we are a nonprofit organization located in Northeast Mississippi. We host programming designed to help you create a life full of purpose that aligns your values with your actions. And this year, our board of directors has decided to focus all of our programming on conscious living. What do we mean by conscious living? We mean paying attention to how our actions, our choices and our decisions impact our lives and the lives of those around us. And ultimately our communities and our world. Part of that consciousness has to do with our emotional reactions and realizing that we always have a choice. We aren't able to escape all the painful pieces of life. Every one of us faces pain, loss, fear, anger, or betrayal at some point. I remember when I first read Pema Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart. I was struck by the fact that even a practiced nun struggled deeply with disappointment. But my takeaway from that book was this. We cannot escape pain, but we can choose how we react to it. Today's guest is an expert at refusing to sync with her surroundings. Best-selling author Julie Cantrell has been accused of being Pollyanna-ish, but that is not the case. It takes courage and strength and deep conviction to choose joy, love, and forgiveness. And Julie does this in her writing and in her life. Today in the interview, I hope we will all learn how to choose joy even when things fall apart. This program is brought to you by the Homestead Education Center, a nonprofit organization in Starkville, Mississippi. This week, we want to thank our Keep It Local sponsor, Kelly Cutshaw, CPA. This is a family run business who cares about your well being. They do everything from payroll for businesses to personal tax returns, and you won't be charged just to answer a question, which is what sent me running to them. Please visit our website at www.thehomesteadcenter.org and click on Keep It Local to see how our organization is keeping money in our communities by supporting local businesses. Before we begin our interview, I wanna remind our community that Homestead Day is just around the corner. On September 28th, we're having three strands of speakers on home and garden and holistic birth and childcare. Come learn about beekeeping, making a compost pile, solar energy for your home, childhood nutrition, and so much more. There are over 25 speakers and demonstrations going on from 10 to 3, and we hope to see you out there. You can see the whole lineup on our website at www.thehomesteadcenter.org backslash calendar. Online this month, we're talking in our member group about a book called Barefoot and Balanced, It's our Conscious Living Book Club, and this book is pretty remarkable in explaining about the importance of getting kids outside, not just to connect with nature, but for their physical and their mental health. It's an important topic as parents battle technology usage, which is what we talked about on last week's podcast. If you wanna join that discussion, just sign up for the membership level that's right for you on the website, and we'll add you to the group. We're also featuring our online course, keeping backyard livestock. It tells you how to get started with bees and chickens, even in a very small space. I'll tell you, I've gotten so accustomed to giving our food scraps and leftovers to our chickens that it shocked me last weekend when I visited my mom. I had to put all those scraps down the disposal and it hurt my heart. Chickens are so easy and useful. So check that out at the homesteadcenter.org backslash online dash courses. You can take one course or sign up to become a member and access all the online courses. And we'd like to thank our members for supporting our programming. Without you, we couldn't do what we do. Welcome new members, Elizabeth Wade and Allison Dinkins who joined this week. Today, we're talking with Julie Cantrell, who's an award-winning New York Times and USA Today best-selling novelist. Her work focuses on relationships, resilience, and faith. I fell in love with Julie's first book, Into the Free, and I've followed her ever since. In fact, she's one of the two mentors who generously helped me become an author. Without her, I don't think I would have ever published a thing. But when I met Julie, her life looked very different than it does today. The thing that hasn't changed is her heart. Welcome, Julie.
1: Thank you so much, Allison. I am honored to be sharing this time with you and really, really grateful that uh, I can call you my friend. I'm just admire you more than words can say and grateful for all that you do to be proactive in your community and so far beyond that to help people have a healthy happy life and a healthy lifestyle and I just hope you know how much you mean to me and so many people who are lucky enough to cross your path.
0: Oh thank you Julie well I feel the same way I'm a I'm a what I call a super fan so (laughs) when you said you had time to talk with me I was so excited you are seriously the real deal well when I, I met you um you were a speech pathologist And you were Mm -hmm. tending an organic farm and taking care of kids and a husband while you you snuck in early morning hours to write yep and what time did you get up to start writing those days
1: well you know i was like most mothers and most women that i know we spend every minute of every day serving and giving and loving and supporting other people in our lives that's what we want to do that's how we live our lives but Not many of us have a a down minute where we're not productive in some way to serve others. And we don't take any time for ourselves usually. So if I wanted to try to write a book, which was just a personal challenge to myself, I didn't know when in the day I could carve time for myself to do that without feeling selfish. I just was the kind of person who never did things for me Um, so I woke up from three to five in the mornings before anybody else needed me and quietly wrote for five days a week Monday through Friday three to five a.m. for three months and that's how I got my first draft. I
0: remember hearing that story and it blew my mind that is
1: that that's a passion right there. You know, it really was. And I'm not the most disciplined person. You know, I I always say I wish I could make myself do that at the gym every day or something. But uh, it was just a strange little blip in my life. And it was a personal goal of mine. I just always wanted to see if I could write a book. And I'm telling you, it was the most beautiful spiritual gift to myself to give myself that quiet space to just create and tap into that creative energy that we all have it was it was a real it changed my life it really did and now i can't imagine not writing and through your writing you changed so many
0: others lives but when i met you you weren't just writing and taking care of kids you actually were letting a bunch of kids convert a school bus to a mobile farm on wheels in your barn (laughs) can you talk a little bit more about what your life was like that
1: oh my goodness! That was Busy. a fun project. That is when I met you. Um, the mobile farm on wheels. They uh-huh. y'all did a fantastic job painting that bus so beautifully and converting it to um to a farm on wheels. It was just a wonderful project. I will say those years that I spent in the farm circles in Mississippi, the people I met through the sustainable ag networks and the CSAs and the farmers markets. Y'all are the most incredible group of people I've ever come across in my life. And I'm so grateful for that season of my life. I I loved every minute of it. I actually wanted to start a small-scale farm after reading Barbara Kingsolver's book Animal Vegetable Miracle. Is that what it was called? I think that's what sparked me on too. (laughs) Oh really? (laughs) Um, You know that shows you right there what a difference a writer can make. You know like she shaped both of our lives into a different direction and I think sharing those kind of ideas and beliefs through the written word or the spoken word is so important. Because look, we might not have ever been on that path or crossed paths at all if we hadn't read her book. So I encourage people to write, to share their ideas and stories and to go for it. Even if you know all these ideas take you in new directions, just try it. It was wonderful to have a little sustainable farm and raise our kids in a way that was natural and outdoors and healthier. I just, I wouldn't have traded that for anything for our children. Yeah. And you've been a mentor at our writing
0: retreat, and we've got that coming up again in October. And it really is that the point of that retreat is that writing is a way to change the world. So I appreciate your time doing that. And I'm looking forward to another one. When I got to know you, I remember thinking, I mean, quite honestly, that your life was perfect. You were becoming a <laughs> successful author. You had a beautiful family and a farm. And, and people really resonated with your sense of hope and faith. I sure did. Can you talk a little bit about your hope and faith and and where that came from
1: thank you um you know i we always look at other people and think everybody has it perfect of course nobody has a perfect life nobody um but i've always been the kind of person who just finds the good and finds a way to be grateful for every breath that i have and i don't know where that really came from in me but when i look back at my life i think it came from several hard losses in my life that happened early on which happened to a lot of people but early on you know my parents were divorced which was one terrible trauma for a child you never want anybody who's lived through divorced parents knows that divorce is a terrible hurtful traumatic thing and uh, kids don't always just move forward without a before and after mark in their heart from that so that was one thing and then my very best friend who had been like a sister to me all my life we were together all the time and she lived right across the street and she died of leukemia when we were teenagers Mm. and so i think watching her battle for her life and then lose her life at such a young age taught me to appreciate my life to be appreciative of every minute of this life and then my brother committed suicide as a teenager which taught me The importance of recognizing people's pain and understanding that sometimes we have too much pain to carry Mm -hmm. and we have to carry it for one another. We have to help one another through those moments and through those times and that we can't give up and quit because doing that doesn't just end the pain. It, It kind of leaves it on the rest of the people who love us. And then there were other traumas like that. You know, people are lost in traumatic ways, sudden ways. My grandmother was killed in a car wreck on the way home from my graduation and things like that that happened all very early to me in life. And I think those things just shaped my spirit in a way that made me, I don't know, have great, tremendous empathy and compassion for other people's hurts and tremendous gratitude for what life gives us. Life is a hard, hard thing, but it's a wonderful, beautiful thing, too. That's what Glennon says. It's a It's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> it's perfect. It,
0: and you just carry that through all of your books. I mean, that, that same message, but your empathy and your deep care, but also your resilience. You know, it seems to me that just as your career as an author and a speaker peaked, you did a great TED Talk and you, I mean, you're hitting bestseller charts. It's like the rug got ripped out from underneath you again,
1: um, it really did and
0: I want people to hear that things fell apart in your life but you didn't you refused to join that negativity yeah
1: you know? well I won't say I didn't have moments where I fell apart um, I think that I've tried I try to um to move forward with as much grace and forgiveness and understanding and compassion as I possibly can with every step but there are moments for all of us when we just break when when the pain becomes too much and I think that that definitely has been the last season of my life has been a painful painful growing season of letting go you know as I said when you're a child of divorce the most of us um, the only thing we want in the world is a family a happy healthy family and especially for our own children so my world revolved around being a wife and being a mother and creating a home that was happy and healthy and safe for my children and for my family. That was my identity for more than 20 years. So when all you want in the world is that home and that family and that falls apart against every attempt to save it, it's soul crushing. It really is. And it's been a hard, hard learning season for me, but I've learned so much, and uh, I just say I'm launching Life 2.0 now. Life did not go as I expected it to go, but I think that happens to everybody, and it's a matter of how do we pick up the pieces and start over, because we can't just quit. We just can't. Yeah, I, you just amaze me, because I'm prone to, to despair, <laughs> you
0: know, when things go badly in my life, and and they do in everyone's life. Like you say, there's no charmed life out there if, if there is you just don't know enough about that person that's right mm-hmm. but I'll sink like a rock and then my perception goes dark and I can't see that everything isn't just complete shite and yeah. um, what well, I always I remember seeing you at that writer's retreat right in the middle of a really dark period of my life and you have a reason to be bitter to be you know jaded to say enough and yet you showed me that we always have a choice can you talk a little bit about that
1: Well, I think you just said it beautifully. I think we have a choice with every breath and every step we take, we can choose to move toward the darkness or toward the light. And I think that um, every experience we encounter, every person we cross in our path is going to nudge us one direction or the other. They're going to try. And unfortunately, I had come from a very naive place. I had been with my husband since I was 13. I married my high school sweetheart. So truly, the only normal I knew was my normal. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know, I didn't have a great perspective of anything beyond what I was in. And I think that sometimes discernment is, uh, is a tool that some of us develop better than others. It's a tool that I'm still developing now. And I think that We have the choice constantly to elevate other people or push other people down and everybody in our path will do one of those things to us. And we just have to be very careful to choose people who truly are here to love us and support us in healthy ways and let the rest um, figure out their own path and their own journey without letting it destroy us. Every person we meet is either um, continuing generational legacies of trauma behaviors of trauma or we're carrying the burden of trying to heal them and stop them and change them. And so I think we all come from different family systems or faith systems or community systems or whatever that have created our normal for us, our reality for us and our way of moving through the world. But at some point, sometimes some of us are shaken from that and then we have to make a choice do we continue some of the unhealthy toxic behaviors that we've believed for a long time were normal or do we bravely and courageously step away from that to um, be loved in a healthy way I think a lot of us love in a healthy way but we don't ever think about the other half of that Um, we're here to love and to be loved and both matter
0: I want to talk a little bit about the practicality of it so when you're on the floor uh, you know, when yeah. just, you know, I mean, I've been there. You know, on <laughs> yeah. the floor in the closet. Um, that's where I used to go just to shut the world out and then regroup. But how do you make yourself get up and put one foot in front of the other?
1: Oh, um, you know, I just have a very, very deep faith, and I think the only reason I've stayed sane through some of the things I've been through, especially in recent years, is to zoom out and realize that there has to be a greater purpose to this. There has to be a reason. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, some days my faith is shaken and and I start to question how can any of this be for a purpose? It's just too cruel, too unjust and unfair. But then I start to think how many people have lived lives that have been completely unjust and unfair? How many innocent people have spent decades in prison? How many how many refugees have walked for miles just to find a safe space or food or water only to be turned away how many people have had tragically different harder lives than i'll ever be able to imagine or know i'll tell you one of the nights when i was completely broken had no idea how to take the next breath or what would come next or how to even survive i was really in that moment of how how am i going to live through what was happening to me and I remember I had nothing at all with me, nothing to my name, um, except my phone. And I was <laughs> parked, and I'm in my car. That's literally all I had. And I was parked in the library parking lot, and I was scrolling through their free Wi-Fi at night by myself. And I was looking at Humans of New York. And I don't know if you yes. ever follow that feed, but oh, I like that. I do. I love it because he shows the truth that every single one of us knows suffering. All of us will endure some kind of suffering or loss or grief or tragedy or trauma in our lives. And it's really about, as you said in your intro, what do we do with that pain? How do we navigate this world with an open heart when we've been shattered? And I think that's the, the key, the challenge of our human journey. Do we do we harden and become bitter and angry and vengeful and go out and, and do the things that have been done to us to even the score? Do we throw our pain onto other people because it's too much for us to hold and we want them to hurt as much as we do? Or do we continue to bravely and courageously look at the truth of what's happened to us, analyze our role in it, heal from it, and then go back out into the world and love again. Yeah. I, I don't want to live in a place where I'm not able to love. I think
0: when you're wounded, you know, your ego is in full in charge. It is just it's on it's on fire, it's defensive. It's saying, it, "This is unjust. I don't deserve this. How could this happen to me?" Mm-hmm. And that that voice can spin and spin for people and to somehow say, "I'm going to step back from that voice. I'm going to take a a larger view and and to look at the things that you can do for me, it's service. I I have to do is go into a neighborhood where we work several days a week and, and serve. And it, 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 it really lets me take a step back
1: exactly and that's the hands-on way the actionable way to remind ourselves that we aren't the only ones hurting we aren't the only ones in need we aren't the only ones who have had unfair and unjust things happen to us and a lot of people have it a whole lot worse so how can we take this experience and this pain and this knowledge that we now have and use it to help others and show others the way and guide them through to the healing and back to a space of wholeness and love and service that's really what it's all about I think if we can learn the lessons we've been given, no matter how painful they are, and use that knowledge to go out and help others, we're living the life we were born, that we were sent here to live. Love that. Thank
0: you. And you bring this theme of choosing love in the face of despair into your writing. Can you can you talk a little bit about that in some of your books, and then we'll talk about your latest?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I've kind of jumped around genres a little bit. I, my first two novels were, were historical fiction, and then I jumped to two contemporary fiction works, and my latest was creative nonfiction. But what unites the five books, and then two children's books, is that theme, like you said, of choosing love despite everything, despite all the pain, choosing to love and be loved in healthy ways, and choosing people in our lives that can love us in healthy ways, and not letting um, the pain and the trauma break us and destroy us for good. So every one of my novels kind of explore those healthy versus unhealthy relationships, forgiveness, resiliency, strength, but also empathy and compassion even for the people who do hurt us in our lives and trying to see them as doing the best they can too. So loving them but in a way that doesn't destroy us. I think that's what I see again and again and again come through in my stories.
0: I do, too. I definitely do. And I just read your latest book, Crescendo, and I love this character. And you talk about a character who should have been bitter. Well, not a character, a real, this is a a creative nonfiction, as you say, basically a biography of this man's life. Mm-hmm. He should have been bitter, and he should have been gobbled up by his horrible childhood, but he wasn't.
1: Tell us how you found this project. You're right. Um. So his name is Fred Allen, and his wife's name is Winnie. And uh, Fred and Winnie Allen are a wonderful couple. They're still alive today in um, Thomasville, Georgia. And their grandson wanted to write a book about their story because it's really a phenomenal story about the everyday heroes among us. And he was able to secure a book deal with HarperCollins, but he's not a writer. And so they partnered him with me to help shape the story and write the story. And so I spent almost the last two years working with the Allen family, doing research and interviews and putting this book together with their grandson, Alan Chaney. So the book just came out in July, and I'm so proud of it. It has just been a work of my heart and a work of their hearts, and what I love most about it is that for the first time, I've always written women's fiction, or it's been called that, Mm -hmm. so stories of women who overcome trauma and tragedy and our stories of building ourselves back, putting our lives back together again, but this is a story of a man who overcame tremendous trauma at a very early time in his life when we're most vulnerable and most in need of love and support and protection and shelter as a child, his family was unable to give him those basic needs. Instead he grew up entrenched in tremendous poverty rural Georgia during the Great Depression and he was a musical prodigy born with a tremendous musical gift but his family didn't quite know what to make of that. They were scared of it in many ways they were superstitious about it um, for various reasons and so they did the most cruel thing they could do and locked him away from the piano and from music but that was the least of the things that they did to Fred because Fred became a very vulnerable child in a, in a world with a lot of predators in it and throughout his life he came across many predators along the way so his story is a story of resilience overcoming trauma and as you say choosing love choosing to heal those wounds and deal with the pain when it resurfaced face those demons and then move forward in your life using your your talents and your gifts to serve others and help others find a way to love too
0: yeah that i love how in the story you try very hard not to judge his family they they were who they were yeah but he also drew some boundaries you know at at, Ultimately, and said, that's not what I'm going to recreate for myself.
1: I think that's really, really, really hard to do when your family system is the system that is trying to break you or keep you down. And that gravity is is holding you back from everything you were born to be or do or believe, um, it is very hard to break free from something like that. From that mindset, from the mentality, from the, all of the voices fighting against you and judging you and criticizing you for just doing what's right. And it takes a really strong and resilient person to stand up and do what's right when, when they're against that kind of force in their life. Fred could have easily repeated those toxic generational patterns of abuse yeah and neglect and trauma he could have easily become another one of those people yep. but he didn't and he found he he found a way he learned early on that there were people in this world who were trying to break him and others who were trying to help him yes, and he learned the helpers. early I on. love the helpers That's in, the, right. in the book and he learned to gravitate toward the people who were going to help him out. He found those people. And those are the people I, that's thats who I want to be. I want to be a helper in the world. I want to be the kind of person who says, okay, I may not have it all figured out. I may make a million mistakes a day, but my heart is pure. And I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to do all I can to help you become all you can be too. And that's, that's all I think Fred ended up living his entire life, he and Winnie to use their gifts to serve others and elevate others and, and help others know that they're loved and they matter and that there is a, a happy, healthy life available if we choose to claim it for ourselves. Yes. I hope everybody will check out Crescendo. It's on, it's available
0: everywhere, but it is really worth a, a read or a listen. You can get it on audio as well. So what would you leave people with who feel like their old life has ended, like everything's fallen apart, you know, it's a, a, a death of a child, a divorce, a a betrayal you know what what would you leave people with
1: you know it is hard it's hard when you work your whole life toward a certain uh, vision of what you picture your life's going to be and then it all gets erased or it all gets taken and there's a million ways that can all fall apart whether it's a, a storm or a flood or a divorce or a loss like you say if a business anything uh, and it happens to everybody in different ways to different degrees we all have our life kind of flipped on us at some point in time I don't know if I don't want to get too preachy here, but I always go back to my faith and my faith happens to be Christianity just because that's what I was born into. Whether your listeners ascribe to this belief or not, or whether they believe it in the way that it's told or as, you know, a metaphor, it's it's okay. It can still be relevant Mm -hmm. because in the story, Christ is crucified. Now he had done nothing at all to deserve being tortured, and destroyed. All he had done is offer a genuine, pure, authentic love to the world, a very broken world who was unable to receive that love and re- and return it. So they made him the scapegoat and they destroyed him for it because he offered a love they could not understand. When he was killed, At the time of his death nearly everyone had abandoned him. Only a few people remained at his side and in the end um, it wasn't his disciples and the people who he had loved so dearly and lived his life for. And many of the people he had served and loved were the ones who actually took part in his torture and his destruction. So what did he do with that? He went to the tomb. If you look at the story as a story, he took time to process what had happened. He sat there in the silent, dark tomb for three days, alone. He allowed his soul to heal. He allowed his wounds to heal. And then he had a choice to make. Do I come back out into this earth, into this world that just destroyed me or not? And if I dare to go back out there, how am I going to go back out there? With an open heart and offer love to these people, or do I go back out there with a vengeance and and seek revenge and destroy the people who have hurt me? So what did he do? He came back out with love, with an open heart. But more importantly, he said to the disciples who had abandoned him and someone betrayed him, he said to them, touch my hands. Mm -hmm. The first thing he said to them was touch my hands. He wanted them to see the truth of his suffering. He wanted and needed them to acknowledge what had really been done to him. He didn't try to keep it secret or hide it away or carry that shame. A lot of times as people who are survivors of some kind of terrible trauma or abuse, we're, we're made to feel like we're supposed to keep it quiet. You know, don't talk about those kind of things. But in doing that, we aren't able to process it and heal fully. It's okay to come back and say, I survived this. This has been a horrible, terrible journey. It wasn't fair. But look at my wounds, acknowledge they're here, see my strength, see that I'm choosing to come back to life here. But I'm coming back to this world to offer love to you all. And to show you my wounds, not because I'm bitter or hardened or jaded or I want revenge, but because I'm here to say, follow me, I can show you the way back to love. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. show you the way. And now I want you to learn the way so you can go show others the way to come back from your wounds to come back from your trauma to to rise up again, and come back to life. It is so hard when you've been wounded to, to let that go.
0: You know, we're dealing with that with racism in this country. And, you know, yeah. people say,
1: I want you to see my wound, you have forgiveness is one thing. But there's an accountability that comes from the other side of it that has to happen too we can forgive and move forward even if we don't get the apologies we need but somewhere along the way somebody needs to say I see your pain I see it it's not fair it wasn't right but I'm here with you and I'm going to walk this with you and that's what I think you're very good at in your books and in your just in your life but if I can do anything with the pain I've been given to help other people then that's what I that's what I want to do
0: Tell people where they can find you and your books and information about getting you to come speak and all that good stuff.
1: Well, um, my website, which isn't always kept perfectly up to date, it's one of those balls I drop pretty often, but um, it's at, it's just my name, uh, www.julie.com cantrell.com and my last name is spelled c-a-n-t-r-e-l-l so they can contact me through my website if they'd like to invite me to speak I don't speak as much as as often as I used to Um, I'm working full-time doing editorial work now and writing books for other people and writing my own works so that keeps me tied to the desk a lot more than it used to but uh, I still try to do three or four speaking events a year and they can reach out to me if they're interested in that and And they can uh, find your books books and
0: order your books
1: Yeah, they're all the all the information's there on my website, or any bookseller can order them or have them delivered. And of course, they're online anywhere too. So
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And Julie Cantrell is an amazing human and amazing guest. And we're growing our podcast and could use your help listeners. If you liked what you heard today, please take just a minute and share this podcast with somebody who needs to hear it. You have a great week.
1: Thank you. You too, Allison. This has been wonderful. And thank you so much for everything you do. You really are a light.